Um, I used to love um, Asterix growing up. Asterix was so funny as a kid. And um, you know what? I loved it as a kid, but I did not know as a kid that all the names are puns. I didn't know. I didn't know because I just couldn't pick that up as a kid. But I, I loved it, and then I went back to it as an adult, and I was like, the druid's name is Get a Fix. Come on! That's hilarious. Did you know all the centurions, they're like ignoramus, gluteus maximus. You know, Asterix's first cousin is called Anticlimax. I didn't know that. Um, um, and, um, you know, there's a, there's a I, think they, I think he's a rather big centurion and he's called Voluptuous Arteriosclerosis. And then there's a centurion called Dubious Status. I didn't know this. I didn't know, I just read them as, oh yeah, that's an interesting name. Okay, carry on. Um, and and I, think the, I think she's a bit of a, a painful wife to the chief vital statistics, which is funny as well, but her name is Impedimenta, which is hilarious. Come on. Now, I didn't, I'm reading all these names as a kid, and I had no idea. I just had no idea that there's this extra meaning in the stories. I've been reading Narnia to my, my son. We've read all seven books, plus a few of them a second time. He, um, he's probably up to the stage where he reads them by himself now. Bit of a bookworm. And um, we, um, reading it as an adult, there's all this extra symbolism, isn't there? There's all this extra imagery that C.S. Lewis threw in there that, that as, a, as an eight-year-old, you're going to be like, you're going to glaze over that. I don't know what that means. But then all of a sudden, the same story is, is teaching you new things. Um, and that's the thing about stories. And, you know, for, for the artists in our, in our church and those who dabble in creativity, and, I, and, I, and I've done some... Um, I remember actually doing some study on this as well. The power of stories and paintings and poems is that they, they continue to teach after you have read them. That's what makes them powerful. That's why... Um, you know, narrative is such a commonly used form of teaching for Jewish people. Do you know the Bible is 43% narrative? That's how important it is as a teaching style. And it's because, so if I give you a bunch of instructions, so a bunch of applications from the Bible with a bunch of points, actually what we know is that if that's the first time you've heard it, it's really hard for you to remember it. But the thing is, if I tell you a story, and you learn a lesson from the story, you will remember the lesson you learned. Why? Not because you remember exactly how it was worded as an instructional point, but you remember the story. And the story keeps teaching you. The narrative keeps teaching you. If you look at a painting when you're 10 years old and a painting when you're 20 years old, 20 years old you will see something new because that's the power of these pieces of art. They continue to teach after they have been taught. They continue to to speak to us after they have been told. I mean, it's the same with movies. If you watch a movie a second time, you'll see something. And, um, and, and it's the same with biblical narrative. That's why parables and, and, these, and these stories involving these biblical figures are so fascinating, is that I can revisit them, and there'll be new lenses and new things being taught to me. Um, and so stories are powerful. We know that. And, and I actually think we don't value them enough. It's interesting that the Bible is 43% narrative, yet how much does the Protestant Western Church value narrative as a teaching style? We really value our, our systematic theologies and our points to sermons, but really, so much of this tradition that Jesus comes from is story. That's how they learned. They discussed stories, which is really fascinating. You know, I find that super interesting. Um, now, 
This is really cool, though, because I think Jesus understands this. Jesus understands that stories are really important. Jesus understands that if he tells a parable, the parable will keep teaching after he's told it. Jesus understands this. And um, Jesus also understands that what he's doing is really hard to comprehend for his disciples. And so here's an interesting fact. And you can challenge me on this. I know I'm I'm right, but it's okay. Not because I know I'm right because I'm amazing and know everything. But, you know, I think scholars will back me on this. Jesus hardly talks about why he was dying to his disciples. Do you know that? He hardly talks about it. He he, He spends a lot of time predicting he will. I will die. But doesn't actually give them much in terms of why he's dying. There's one sort of explicit. So Mark 10:45. Some of you would know the verse. Okay. Yeah. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you know that one. So that's pretty much. And you can struggle to find. But I don't think you'll find another time he explicitly explains why he's dying. The only other time where he talks about it, it seems in a direct way, is Passover before he dies. And so Jesus, in this passage we're going to read, connects his death to Passover. And what he's doing is he's connecting his death, this big crazy event that the disciples are about to experience, he's connecting it to the most central Jewish story of all, the Exodus. He's giving them, he's, he's, he's placing it within a story so they can keep wrestling with it after this crazy event happens, right? Because you can imagine the disciples' heads are in a whirlwind. Like he's dying, he's like, what is going on? But then they remember, ah, Passover, Jesus connected all this to Passover and all these symbols and what does that mean? And it gave them the ability. Now we know that the disciples, the ones that wrote the New Testament, they went on to explain in more detail what Jesus' death meant. But Jesus himself, in that moment, maybe he knew that wouldn't be helpful. But what he did do is he placed it in the middle of a story. Um, And Passover is this ancient meal. Like we, We really need to appreciate it, don't we? That this is a meal practiced by generation after generation after generation of Jews. They did this meal again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And it was, a, it was a meal that centered them in the story. Remember, God saved us from Egypt. Remember, we were slaves and God chose us. It was this, this re-centering ritual. And what Jesus is doing by placing, by talking about his death in the middle of Passover with his disciples, he's, he's giving them the tools to wrestle with the event of his death. Because he's tying his death to symbols they have engaged with for generations. Does that make sense? He's, he's tying it in with the most familiar symbols to these people. And so that the meaning of it can start to open up to them. It's really fascinating. Jesus is a master teacher, isn't he? Now I'm going to focus um, in on the end of the chapter that we're going to read as you'll see. And then kind of make some comments backwards if you like. Um, But we're going to read, if you'd like to read with me, because it just helps build up to it, we're going to read chapter 26 down to verse 30, um, if you'd like to have it open in front of you. But just to let you know, in terms of what we talk through, we're going to start at the end almost with Passover, with Jesus, with his disciples, and just make some backward comments. We're not going to, um, uh, in a detailed way, exegete some of the stories we're going to read, but we will make reference to them in light of Passover. Alright, so the plot against Jesus, verse chapter 26. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, 
As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And I do want to pause there because that verse has been ripped incredibly out of context by people over the time, almost to the point of, you know, there's a justification in not caring for the poor. Um, the, The part of Deuteronomy Jesus is quoting from, if you read it, that's a verse that is giving them a rationale to care for the poor because the poor they will always have with them. So it's a, it's, a, it's a complete mystery to read it as Jesus is saying, in general, there's an excuse to not care for the poor. Um, he's making a reference to a particular moment in time, a context. So, but just, you can, And you can check that up where it comes from in Deuteronomy and you'll see it has nothing to do with avoiding caring for the poor. Um, but, you know, just, just to make that aside because it can be read in a bit of a, a different way. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. Um, I heard one scholar's opinion on why it says a certain man instead of naming the person. And he's saying, actually, when this is being written, it's still a politically charged issue, Jesus. And so it could well be not revealed because it's protecting the person who housed him in his house and his Passover with him. Verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Okay, so you'll notice that um, I have some stuff kind of from the Passover, but not exactly in its truest form. Um, To my right here, we have some Lebanese bread and we have some 
what's meant to be a bit darker apple and blackcurrant juice. Just picture it a bit darker. And we have some, some, some bitter herbs. You know, 10 bucks if you bite into that. Um, bit old as well. No, I'm not joking. Five bucks actually now that there's someone willing to do it. Okay. Um, so Jesus talks about his death here. So you can imagine the disciples. You don't want to finish this? Okay, no worries. I'll just put it here. And this also represents the sin of Adam and Eve. Okay. Thanks, Ken. He's just embellishing my presentation. Um, so he talks about his death here. So you can imagine the disciples, they're surrounded by these familiar symbols and this familiar meal with this familiar script. And Jesus starts talking about his death in amongst this meal. Now, just to talk through some of the elements, I'm not, a, I'm not at all a, a guru on, on Passover, but I can tell you some things that, the, that usually part of this meal, you'd have some bitter herbs like some horseradish. And um, that was so that the Israelites would reflect on the hardness of slavery of that long time where they felt God was far and they remember the bitterness of that. And it was, and, and you guys, I mean, if you look it up, there's beautiful scripts. I mean, kids would ask questions as part of the script, you know, why do we eat this? And then they would explain because we were slaves in Egypt. It was hard and it was bitter. Um, and, you know, and we know that there's the symbol of the unleavened bread because it was a miracle where God suddenly had... Pharaoh had suddenly told them they could go and the whole idea of unleavened bread it was prepared quickly and so it remembered that they had to leave their leave and quickly go while Pharaoh had ordered them out of Egypt and also I mean I don't know I hadn't heard this before but I've also read that um, unleavened bread is connected to poverty um, and, and uh, in some way as well and so it's remembering it can be some people think it's remembering that they were you know under the thumb of Pharaoh and live in hard times as well um, and then we also have, we don't have lamb here, um, but some people thought that the juice also was an extension of the lamb. The blood of the lamb was an extension in the juice as well. Um, and you guys um, know the Passover, right? The Passover lamb, it's a big deal. So the last plague of Egypt, yeah, Pharaoh sends the angel of death. No, not Pharaoh. No, not Pharaoh. God sends the angel of death. That makes sense. Thanks, Mum. It's good to have your mum in the... Um... Yeah, that, that sounds awful. Jeez, imagine that as a soundbite. Jeez, I'd, I'd have the college calling me. It is recorded. It is recorded. I'll have to edit that one out. Um, dear, oh dear. No, no, God sends the angel of death, and um, all, and, but there's this instruction from God that anyone who puts the blood of the lamb on their door frames the angel of death will pass over that house. And that's where the word Passover comes from. It's the Passover, the time when God miraculously spared his own people by the blood of the Passover lamb. And so this, this is a meal where you can imagine the power of this. So imagine you're a young Jewish child and every year you did this with your family. You sat and you remembered. Remember we were slaves. Even it was at this point, it's hundreds of years ago. Remember we were slaves. Remember that God rescued us. Remember that we are those who trust God to fight our battles. Remember that we are those who are rescued. We are chosen and we are loyal to the God who has chosen us. And so they had this beautiful script and they would engage with these symbols year after year, year after year. And then Jesus does this. Jesus suddenly takes those symbols and opens them up to explain his death. And so verse 26 we read, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And this was something they weren't expecting in the Passover script. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, which is not something they were expecting. Well, he was, they were expecting to take a cup because that was part of the script. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And then he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my body broken for you, my blood spilt for you. And what's interesting in this recount of the Passover is it doesn't mention lamb at the table. And some people think that's because the lamb of God is there. The Lamb of God is there. So, and you can imagine, okay, they're still in this whirlwind that some of them haven't even really, even though Jesus has warned them that Jesus is about to die, they're not really sure what's going on. How much they understood, we don't know. And they're trying to understand this idea that Jesus is going to pour out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. But what they do know is that ah, this is God doing another rescue act. Because this is, this is connecting to their history. So Jesus, what Jesus is doing here has something to do with what God did back there. And we know that's exactly what's happening, isn't it? That's, what's, that's exactly what's happening. That we were lost in our sins. I mean, Paul reinterprets the idea of slavery as for us as we are slaves to sin. So these, 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 and you can imagine the New Testament community they just had these symbols ready to go to start thinking about what it meant. Ah, oh, the bitterness of sin, the pain it causes. God rescues us from that. Ah, oh, the blood of the Lamb. We, we were those, you know, under the oppression of sin and we needed God to save us. We needed His wrath to pass over us. So we needed the blood of the Lamb on us. And so, and, and you can imagine the New Testament writers, suddenly they're equipped to write about this because they've been processing it through these symbols that God has given them. That's the power of rituals and stories. And that's the danger in the Protestant tradition, which, which, which was rightfully kind of went, spoke against the religiosity of symbols and, and rituals and how sometimes it can just be a religious, monotonous, feelingless thing. And, and the Protestant was right. But the danger is God never spoke against rituals. God instituted rituals. God instituted feasts. These are things that help us remember. It's really important, and it's important. We need traditions, don't we? We need things that speak to us and teach us over a long period of time. And so, you know, when we look at the bitterness of the herbs, we think of sin and the bitterness it's caused whenever each of us has raised ourselves up and made ourselves our own king and the way we've hurt others and the way they've hurt us and our need for God's forgiveness. And, of course, when we remember the Passover lamb, you know, we remember this tablet full of everything that John Dixon's ever done wrong. You know, that we remember that Jesus, who was pure, took that sin upon himself, and so the wrath of God could pass over John, because John had God's forgiveness. He was covered by the blood of the Lamb. So they had a ritual to re-center on, but Jesus here, of course, is instituting a ritual that we haven't done much of in COVID. <laughs> communion. This is Communion. A communion is a reinterpretation of Passover. That's what communion is. It's a ritual to recenter us. And so when we take the bread and the cup, in the same way when the Israelites took Passover, they remembered they are a rescued people, a chosen people, a people who um, love the God who loved them first. In the same way when we take communion, God was giving us a ritual, because ritual is important, to remember our story. 
that we were those who were the great receivers of God's forgiveness, that we were those who needed his forgiveness and his love, and that we were the ones that he came down the mountain to rescue us, to lead us into new life in him, and, and he was the one that empowered us to embrace him as king, as we remember that he died for us. He died for us. He says at the end, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus is there and he's sitting with his disciples and he says, you know, this won't happen again. This won't happen again until it happens in the final kingdom. And I think, you know, in terms of finishing up this, this little which I hope you found helpful and, and, I, and I think it's what it's one of the things it's done for me is we really need to get communion sorted because I think it's a really powerful ritual and it helps us reflect on who we are but we, this ritual, this communion reminds us that it's a communion centred around Christ and his death for us and it reminds us who we are we're not those who um, are, are fooled by the world that is lost in the kingdom of pride, lost in the kingdom of those who elevate themselves, lost in the kingdom of those who believe that the way to live this life is to elevate yourself and try and beat everyone else. We are those who happily say, no, life starts by accepting what God has done for us. Life starts by trusting him to forgive us and to lead us. Life starts by loving each other as God has loved us. This is a meal that recenters us, but this meal also is a meal that looks forward to a time when we will gather with all those that have lived for that kingdom. That we will gather with all those that lived for the one who died for us first. And that the kingdom of the prideful and the kingdom of the greedy and the kingdom of the, of the people who oppress, that kingdom is passing away. That's what reminds us, because without these rituals that remind us, sometimes you will feel like that kingdom is the one that's remaining and our kingdom is the one that's passing away. But it's a ritual to remind, no, 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 no. The king, the one that will actually rule in the end, doesn't stand for any of those things. So that's why we stand with him, the, the king who died for us. And when you look at the stories that precede this, you look at the woman who came in and the disciples so easily judged this nameless woman, so easily dismissed her. And look at her, she's wasting money. But the thing about this, this meal that reminds us that it's all based on what God has done for us, she is welcome to come. She is welcome to call him a king. In fact, she's the only one in the room that seems aware that the king is about to die. And she is honouring him. And she, and she, this nameless woman, of, who we don't know where she came from, this nameless woman is welcome to enter the kingdom, isn't she? She's welcome to come to the king. We're going to not um, ex like exegete the Judas narrative so much, but you know one of the weird things in that narrative, the, the, you know, which is Judas betrays Jesus, right? And we focus on that. But then it's interesting that right after that, Peter denies Jesus. All the other disciples leave Jesus. In a sense, they all betrayed Jesus even though the story centres on Judas. But those people that left Jesus at that moment are entrusted to lead the church. They're entrusted to lead God's church. And they are welcome to come under the king. Because those symbols, that bre the bread and the cup, remind us what this kingdom is all about. It's a kingdom for the broken, isn't it? It's a kingdom for those that know their need of God. It's a kingdom for those that know they need rescuing. 
It's a kingdom for the weary. It's a kingdom for the burdened. It's a kingdom for those that say, I have no problem with God leading me. I have no problem with God rescuing and dying for me because I don't want to be king. I'm happy for Jesus to be king. And, and that's why we do communion. Now, if I was very organised and this was like, the, I would break up this bread and give it to you, but that's like a week old and the herbs aren't really an edible form and the juice is, well... You want probably sharing a cup with 40 people in COVID times, not not what we should do. Um, but yeah, let's let's remember that we we're not just people who believe a certain amount of facts of Jesus. We're actually invited into a story that we're called back into again and again and again. And that story is that God came to be with us, died in our place, and rose in our shoes, so that we could follow Him for eternity. And that we, whenever we eat and drink the cup, we remember that actually that's the kingdom that's staying. That's the kingdom that's winning. That's the kingdom that wins in the end. And, and we need that message more than ever when we see powerful people seemingly oppress others and seemingly have no consequences. We need that message. So just pray with me, and then we'll sing another song to finish. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just um, welcome you here again. We welcome you as we pray to you. Lord, we just want to thank you that you were such a wise teacher, that you knew that your disciples in all their confusion needed needed what you were about to do, couched in familiar symbols for them that they could wrestle with and understand more deeply. And we thank you, Lord, that the Passover is so instructive in us understanding what you have done for us, that we need you so desperately, that we need you to die for us and forgive us and raise us up and lead us. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would be people about loving, uh, loving you and loving others, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and loving others like ourselves. I pray that we would be those people who do that day in, day out, because we look forward to a different kingdom, where those who, um, yeah, those who live in the name of pride or greed, the people who follow that kingdom, Lord, we know that that kingdom is passing away. And I just pray that we would just, with faith and with joy and with hope, live for the King who died for us. Live for the King who loved so that we can love. I just pray that we would be those people. Amen. And we're just going to um, listen to one more song, or sing one more song and listen.